There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to My Millennial Career. My name is Shelley Johnson. I'm a HR consultant. Emily Bowen. Hey there, Shell. How are you? Good. Sometimes instead of just saying M, I just wanted to shake things up a bit. Yeah, you can say my name for me. Thank you. <laughs> hey, today we're talking with Kate Messenger, Head of Marketing and Customer Communications at Newcastle Permanent Building Society, joining us to talk about her very colourful career where she has helped major companies build their brands. And in particular, there is tons of wisdom that we are going to draw out of her because she has worked extensively here in Australia as well as internationally. She has moved uh, across the world more times than once for her career and for other reasons, which we'll unpack. She's worked with big brands that you will have heard of, places like Aporto, RACT, she's worked for Visa and the Westpac Group, NRMA, the list really does go on. This is one of the most beautifully reflective and deep thought conversations that Shelley and I have had with a guest. It takes uh, a few different twists and turns down different paths and will really get you thinking. Although she is all about branding and communications and customer experience, we barely talk about that. So regardless of where you're at in your career, we recommend you listen to this one because I think everybody will take something away from this. I know that I certainly did. Shelley has as well. The other thing that we would love you to consider taking control of is your finances. And you can do that by banking with one of the best. Newcastle Permanent has been voted as the top Australian-owned banking institution in the 2021 Forbes World Best Banks Survey. That's not bad. Visit newcastlepermanent.com.au to experience award-winning service. Kate is a guest who has, I'm going to say, been voluntold, perhaps, uh, maybe a little bit of volunteered, to come on board and be our guest today uh, on behalf of the Newcastle Permanent Building Society. So, hi, Kate. How are you? I'm well. Thank you for having me. It's our pleasure. Uh, we have to do a really, uh, I guess, heartfelt shout out to the Newcastle Permanent Building Society at this moment because they have been a partner of ours through season three. And when this episode goes live, it will actually be the final episode of season three. And so, uh, look, if you don't mind passing uh, back to your colleagues, just a big thank you from us because it's been a really wonderful partnership. And uh, we, you know, in so many ways, just Actually, it sounds a bit corny, but couldn't have done it without them, or at least it would not have been the same. So, thank you. I will pass that back, and I know that they'll be thrilled because um, they were fans of the, the podcast before we became involved. So, I think they're excited to be part of it. Yeah, beautiful. Uh, today, we are going to, uh, I guess, use your knowledge, your wisdom, your insights from a career that has been described as colourful. Uh, it wasn't my word originally, but I have 
grabbed hold of it because you are somebody who has dived into the consulting world, uh, you've been an employee, there's been international work, you're now working um, from lockdown from your home and uh, you have a few different things going on in a normal week from what I understand. But Kate, do you mind giving us your version of some sort of nutshell overview of what your career has looked like? Sure. Well, um, first of all, it, this, I'm just realising in preparing for this conversation that it's been, you know, well over 25 years and I'm rounding down to... <laughs> Good on you. So I will give you a potted version, otherwise I think it might get a bit dull. But um, I did. I started in uh, public relations in London and then there was an opportunity to move to the States quite early in my career and um, I moved to... Uh, first Los Angeles and then San Francisco and then later on to New York. And in that time, I was working in PR for a long time, but then I had an opportunity to move into brand and branding. Uh, and that was sort of brand strategy, but it was also uh, visual branding. And that was interesting and new, so I did that. And uh, then I found myself working in brand, particularly in the hospitality industry, the hotel industry, where brand is really very much about the customer experience, right? It's about the physical set. It's about the, the interactions with people. It's about the service moments. And so brand is really about customer experience. And so then I found myself working in customer experience and that intersection between brand and customer experience. And that was really exciting. And then I, I decided I wanted to move back to this sort of part of the world. My father's a New Zealander and I, I went to university in New Zealand. My dad still lives in New Zealand. I wanted to be closer to him as he was getting a bit older. Um, didn't find a good opportunity in New Zealand, but found one in Sydney. So that seemed close enough. It was a lot closer than New York. So um, moved here and uh, worked in... I, I burrowed even deeper into that area of, of specialization. So not just customer experience uh, and branded customer experience, but specifically the role that people play in delivering those experiences. And so I, I specialized and focused on that um, for nearly 10 years, I think. And then now I found myself back in a very generalist role as head of marketing and customer communications, uh, working between Sydney and Newcastle when I can get there. Yes, and when you can get there, we should say, as we're recording this, we are in lockdown and so it's a bit of a challenge. With your transitions, Kate, I can hear even in your story, there's been a lot of kind of changes. How planned out were they? Like sometimes when you're in the early part of your career, you want to map out, here's where I think I'll be in five years, 10 years. Was it like that for you or was it different? <laughs> um, yeah, there was a plan, but I didn't end up following it. There were lots of plans, actually. I'm a planner. I like plans. I like lists. I like, uh, I like five-year plans, three-year plans, ten-year plans. I love them. Um, they never seem, in hindsight, to have been what ended up happening, and that's okay. Um, but I, I like a plan, and I think that even if you don't stick with the plan, it gave you momentum. It gave you focus. Um, it helped you to make decisions that need to be made in that short term. So, no, I, I can't say that I had a big plan, but, but I had lots of little ones and, and I enjoyed them along the way. 
It's, I know, I'm just sitting there thinking this, your career and your life movements in so many ways, I'm so envious of and they're so foreign to me because I am somebody who is the really typical born and bred, been to university, still working and living in the same place. And I've done a bit of travel here and there, but it's been as a tourist as opposed to picking up my life and moving it. And and when you talk in hindsight about all of these wonderful places that you've lived, you just make it sound like an absolute breeze to have jumped from, you know, one major city internationally to the next. Was was that something that was difficult for you? Does your personality lend itself to having that come easily to go, you know what, I'm going to move from New York to New Zealand or maybe Australia. Oh, I guess I'll land in Sydney because that's where the job is. I think it's more like building a muscle. And so as a kid, you know, we, we moved around quite a lot when I was a kid. So that muscle was already partly developed for me. It wasn't a completely alien idea, if you like, to, to move from one place to another. But it also does get, just like anything else, it gets easier the more you do it. Um, and maybe that's not true. Maybe it doesn't get easier because when you first, I have found that when I first arrive in a new city, the first few years are kind of weird. You know, you meet you don't instantly meet those people who are going to turn out to be your closest friends 10 years from then. You meet a bunch of people who are kind of pottering around and who happen to have energy to meet new people for whatever reason. Maybe they've arrived recently too or something's changed in their lives and they have energy for, for new friendships, but they don't necessarily turn out to be your long-lasting friends. So so moving from one city to another always has a um, an initial period where it's, most of your life is about work. And, and that's okay, actually, at, at a certain age. You know, I really enjoyed that in my 20s and 30s, really did. And it was at, coming towards the end of my 30s that I decided uh, that I wanted to be a bit more settled. I wanted to put down roots and, and plan to stay somewhere for more than three or four years, you know. As you're talking there, I, I'm thinking about some of the, I guess, trade-offs and sacrifices you make that come with that focus of I'm in a new city, it can be a bit more challenging to make friends and I'm just finding, were there things specifically to you that you're like, well, I am going to sacrifice this in order to have that? That's a great question. I'm I'm really, I'm I'm searching in myself to see if I felt those moments of, um, I think for me those moments have been more short-term moments. Like I, I, I know this is going to be a really hard thing right now for the next you know, a couple of weeks if it's a project or, and I, you know, I just need to get through it. Or even that, it's that moment, you know, when you know something has to be finished that day and it's just going to be miserable for the next five hours, but you know that there will come a time, you know, quite soon when that's, that's done. And I guess that, that does apply for bigger things too. Um, I know that the first couple of years, you know, are, it can be a bit, I guess I was going to say lonely, I suppose for the first couple of years it can be but that's okay because you know that passes and that you do end up you know uh making those connections and um i think what i'm realizing as we uh, just as we talk um is that we don't notice how much our own priorities change they just change it's just they 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 change and because we're seeing everything through our own eyes we don't realize how much we're changing um, and so I probably didn't feel it as loneliness those first few times. I mean, the first, I think quite often when I would move, I moved for some, you know, there was some connection, right? And so when I first moved to the States, uh, that was, uh, I had fallen madly in love and I was, I was moving to be near somebody uh, who I'd met at an international conference and he lived in 
uh, in LA and, and I lived in London and that, that wasn't going to be very workable. And an opportunity came up and I jumped on it and, and uh, moved with the company that I'd worked with uh, and, and they had this exciting opportunity and I moved to LA. And of course the relationship lasted about four months once we were actually living in the same town. But there I was now in the States with this really interesting opportunity. So um, there were no regrets there. But I, I guess circling back to the, the original question there, um, I don't think that I consciously have um, made sacrifices other than sort of short-term sacrifices. What I do try to get better at is accepting that things are not going to be the way I thought they would be and that things are not going to be right all the time and that I'm not always going to be pleased with my own performance or, or, um, or pleased with a decision I made necessarily. And that's okay. That's just the tax of being human. You know, like I go th as I go through my life, I am sure that I will uh, miss a certain number of buses. I will lose a certain number of objects. I will make a certain number of bad decisions, just like everyone else. It's a pretty standard tax that all human beings pay and you just can't get too head up about it. This theme of decision-making is so key and we have so many listeners, I, I've shared with you when we weren't recording, Kate, we have so many listeners that contact us and say, I'm staring down the barrel of feeling like I have a decision to make and it might be, should I stay or should I go? It might be to do with even a whole career change. So, you know, I've spent the last eight years going to become going to university become a teacher I'm now a teacher and I don't know if I want to be a teacher anymore and then there's this fork into well what do I want to do or uh, should I do this and so often our listeners are saying how do I make that decision as I'm listening to you reflect it it certainly sounds like there's an element of maybe a little bit of a plan as you said you're a planner so sometimes that comes into play other times it's well, I've fallen madly in love and I'm going to follow this opportunity that's been presented. Have you found that when you're making decisions, if you, I guess, look for themes, are you somebody that does go through a particular decision-making process where you would offer some advice to somebody else in that same situation? Or have you found that you just jump in and, and as you say, you try not to regret that afterwards? What does that look like for you? I certainly couldn't claim to have a process. But I have learned to look out for certain, I guess, traps that I can fall into. And so maybe I can get a little bit more conscious about them next time. Um, I've learned that I, I've learned that I sometimes want to make a decision too quickly um, because I find having the decision unmade stressful or um, because I have a bias to action and that it often pays to just slow down a little bit for me because I have that bias. Um, if going through my life I had discovered that I had a bias towards inaction, then I would need to compensate for that. So I guess does that make you the opposite of a procrastinator in some regards? It does. It does. And I find that I've, I've learned to recognise that when I am slow to make a decision, when I'm struggling to make a decision, it's often because I actually... I actually kind of do know what I want to do, um, but there is some, there are some reasons for doing the other thing, and those reasons might be good or they might be bad, um, but I need to unpick those reasons. 
I kind of know what I want. Um, and sometimes the reasons for not doing what I want are good, right? That I'm being impatient or that I'm afraid. Um, often I realize that I've been hesitant to do something because I was afraid I couldn't. I wouldn't do it right. I wouldn't do it well enough. And I think when you're younger, you feel like every decision defines you. Like if you make the wrong decision, that's somehow the end of your life. Or if you do something not quite right, that will be it. That'll be who you'll be for the rest of your life. And it just it's, it's not how it works at all. On that, do you have, because I think so many of us do live in that fear of making a mistake, especially around our career. We feel like they're really big decisions. Like I'm going to start this new job and oh my gosh, if I stuff up this decision, I'm going to be stuck there and I'll have no other opportunities. Life changing. Yeah. Mm. Whereas with a little bit of hindsight, you kind of see, oh no, that was actually helpful in some ways, that decision or that maybe mistake or right or wrong call. Do you have things, Kate, you've looked back on and you're like, gee, that was a bit of a mistake, but I'm glad I did it. Uh, yeah, well, I mean, <laughs> moving across the world for somebody I'd only met at an international conference was probably, <laughs> in hindsight, not a very strategic move. But, um, but there were lots, lots of things like that. They, they haven't all involved other people. They've, um, so, yes there, yes, there are absolutely lots of decisions I've made that, uh, in hindsight, probably weren't completely thought through but I'm not sure how much we should hold ourselves to the standard of making the right decision I think if we can make a good decision then that is enough it's nobody has all the information right we, we don't know what's going to happen next we don't know you could um you could take an opportunity that actually on paper wasn't the right decision and then find yourself you know maybe you're boss changes and you your entire world has changed maybe you know the company you're with merges with another company everything changes um maybe something changes in your personal life you can't really predict that so asking yourself to make the perfect decision every time sometimes i've made really really great decisions and they haven't worked out at all there's nothing wrong with the decision so i think that making a good decision based on what you know about yourself that's that's the most I can ask of myself to learn more about myself, to learn what matters to me a bit more, to, to recognize my own personal biases and factor those in as much as I can. Um, and as for decisions that you make and regret, I don't think there's any situation that you can't get something out of. So the first, I mean, regretting the decision itself, that's pointless because we can't, can't change it. The only question that then exists is what should I do now? Is this opportunity, this situation I find myself in, is there something in it for me? Can I get smarter from it? Can I get stronger from it? Because that's what I'm gonna take from this situation to the next situation, myself. That's the only thing I'm gonna take from it. Um, we think other people are paying so much attention to us and nobody, nobody does. Nobody cares as much as we do. Nobody remembers as much as we do. Um, no one's keeping score the way we are. The only thing that is really going to follow us from one situation to the next situation is ourselves, is our strengths, is our um, own resilience. That's what we carry with us. And so if I can build that um, in a situation that doesn't feel entirely comfortable, that's okay. 
I can, I'm not wasting time while I work out what my next move is. It's so powerful to be considering this idea that you start with yourself and you're actually making decisions based on knowing yourself, learning about yourself. And we talk from time to time about, well, what are your values? What are your goals? And to your point earlier, Kate, your priorities and and so your goals can change over time. And so check back in with that because you're right, we're never going to be able to get our crystal ball out and have a look at what external context is going to change, what decisions other people are going to make. The only thing we can rely on knowing is is ourself. The other thing I've been thinking about as we've been talking is that having a decision that you're faced with that you need to make that's quite a big one, uh, that is quite life-changing or, or comes with a level of sort of mental tension because you need to work through that in many ways is actually quite a privilege because it means that you've got opportunities in front of you and it means that you've, maybe some of those opportunities are better than others, but you've got this option to make a change. Have you got a perspective on, as you've worked through your career or if you were talking to somebody who maybe, you know, take yourself back 25 years, they're in their 20s and they're building their career from the beginning, what should they be doing or what could they be doing to actually make sure that they've got opportunities in front of them, they've got options. And if they are faced with a decision that they actually can make the most of that. Well, I I think some of it is um, the common sense stuff that we all know. Um, If if what you're, if you're doing something that you're not really enjoying very much, um, or you think is maybe a bit beneath you or is a bit dull, the best way to, move on is just to do it really, really well, right? People all around you, people are going to be looking for solutions to their problems. And if they see you solving your problems really well, they're going to try and engage you in solving theirs, right? That opportunity comes through being useful and um, solving problems. Um, So whatever problems have been given to you, solve those as well as you can, and people will bring you new and better ones. That would be the closest I have to a, a philosophy of work, um, I think it's helpful to to try to you know play to your strengths, to lean into the things you enjoy, um, and to find enjoyment in the things that you do. Because we just do think we do things so much better when we're enjoying them. We do things better when we're having a good time. We put more of ourselves into our work, and we're going to get a lot more out of it. So you asked uh, earlier about sacrifice, and. I've been thinking as we talk here, I don't think I really believe in that. I don't think I believe in sort of slogging through. There are times, you know, we said you have to push through to a deadline, you have to um, push through in the short term, but putting yourself in a position where you are sacrificing is um, is not going to gear you up for success because we, we, we thrive where we are fulfilled and excited and, and, um, and happy on some level. Now, yeah, learning to to get over the the, the short term disappointments, um, learning to get over the little ego spills. That's that's different. That's not sacrifice. Um, so, definitely solving the problems that you have been given as well as you possibly can. Definitely focusing where you find things interesting, following your own curiosity, because those things you will naturally do better. And then I would say just becoming more conscious of your own um, 
yeah, your own, you know, watching yourself a bit honestly. Um, I think that every situation that I found myself in that hasn't been quite right, um, I'm sure I could come up with a list of 10 things that other people have done wrong, but I can't change those. And I can always come up with a few things that I've done wrong if I really think about it. And that, that honesty has served me well. Because as we said, that's the bit. When I've moved on, I'm no longer working with them. I'll still be working with me. <laughs> yes, I love that. <laughs> okay, let's hit a break. We'll all take a breath. There's so much deep thought uh, in this episode. And when we return, we will pick up where we left off. Hey, thanks for listening. We love learning how to do all things well, which is why we've created a bunch of different podcasts. So go and check out My Millennial Money, My Millennial Money Express, My Millennial Property, My Millennial Health, My Millennial Business, and Gen Z Money. Find these wherever you're listening to this podcast. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Throughout this whole conversation, the theme we hear as we're listening to you, Kate, is you seem very self-reflective, even the way you answer questions, you're pausing, you're thinking about it. And how do we build that uh, discipline practice, whatever you want to call it, of reflecting on ourselves and honestly looking at our own decisions? Wow. That's a tough question. I have to be honest, I I wasn't good at that early in my career. I, I can see in hindsight that I was motivated by, I wasn't very clear about my motivations early in my career. And I don't feel like that meant I wasted, you know, I wouldn't go back and change it. Um, But I can see in hindsight that I was initially very motivated by having more responsibility. And I sort of was counting that responsibility by the number of people I I was responsible for. And that led me down a path. I learned a lot along that, that path, and, but I'm not sure I was really enjoying myself. I think it took me a long time to realise that I should be enjoying myself, that, that having a good time is a reasonable thing to want from your life and your work makes up a big part of your life. So it's okay to want that. Um, what other people think and pleasing other people, that is a bit of a trap. That's certainly, you know, I, I, that's not true for everyone, but I know that's not only true for me. Um, I think a lot of us are 
people pleasers. We want to feel valuable and useful to other people. So I think listening to myself and what I really enjoy, recognizing that following my curiosity, that solving problems um, was more interesting to me and that I didn't want to find myself only um, measuring my success by how many people I managed or how senior I was in an organization and that actually doing things hands-on was really about giving me, giving myself permission to even, even ask myself, what do I like? And I don't know if that's, um, I mean, it could be a generational thing. I'm conscious that, you know, you said, you know, so put yourself back 20 years to think about what it would be like to be in, in my you know, early and mid twenties. Um, it, it is a different world. And I think people are um, young, young employees, young team members that I work with, I think do have more of a sense that they have a right to, uh, to enjoy what they do. And I would say, yes, yes, you do. That is that that took me too long to learn that. So so that self reflection for me had, had to start with giving myself permission to care what I thought, to care what I wanted. I worry that sometimes, and I guess this probably comes from people that we talk to. As I say, we have listeners sort of provide us with their own um, context as a case study, and they're asking a question. I think about it's funny. I've been in my business, uh, the business I work for with Foresights for 10 years, I'm 31, so it was straight out of uni into Foresights, never would have expected that I'd still be here in 10 years and uh, I feel very lucky that I am. But in you're, some, you're defying the uh, trend. <laughs> yeah, I am, I'm going against <laughs> what is typical, I think. Um, but, you know, I find myself asking my, the question, should I be leaving just so that then I've moved on even though I'm still enjoying what I do and I've been really lucky to continue to change. And I think where I land is I go, well, I don't want to move just for the sake of moving and I guess I'm just going to trust one day if it feels like the right thing to do to move on then I'll just know. So there's a bit of intuition and, and self-trust there. But as I say, others, whether it be listeners or friends that we speak with, they'll be in that that dilemma of should I stay, should I go, which we've touched on a couple of times. Do you have any insights, Kate? Or I mean, Shell, you've just changed jobs. Uh, we haven't talked about it too much um, while we've been recording yet. But how should what should someone be listening for in themselves or how do you know if it is time to move on. And I guess this is me saying, I'm not really sure if I can provide any insights because I've been in the same place for 10 years. But I wondered if the two of you might have any reflections on on just how do you know when it is time to move on? How did you know, Shell? Oh, okay. A few things. And I have been thinking about this a lot because we've, I've also been trying to, oh, this is good podcast content. I'll write this down like uh, as we go through this transition that I've been in. So I've just, I quit my job um, that I've been at for seven years, um, quite a senior role and moved into a two-day week consulting role. Very different, super big, massive change for me. And I th- one of the things that I've been reflecting on as to what got me here was what you said, Kate, so eloquently up front, your priorities change. Sometimes you don't even know. And so I um, had my baby number two, Bowie, and he 
as he came along, I kind of just felt like, have you read um, Radical Candor by Kim Scott? I haven't. Oh, put it on. Have you read it? I have not read it. I own it, but I've listened to all the podcast episodes. Oh. So I need to read the book. Yeah. Well, she would have talked about this in her, her podcast, but it's an amazing book. Everyone needs to get this for their career. It's just such good content. But she talks about this thing where you go through, um, you can be on a steep growth trajectory or a a smaller incline and she she says how you need to look for the the signals that your growth trajectory is changing so sometimes you'll be in this really huge upswing where it's challenging where you're really geared up for all the career changes and and growth and then there'll be other times where you're like no I want a steadier pace and I just felt after I had Bowie I'm like I'm ready for a steadier pace I'm ready for something a little bit more paired back where my priorities have changed and shifted towards wanting to be at home more and for me that was a huge huge difference like I think about that parental leave podcast we did ages Mm. ago where I was like oh I'll always want to work full-time and then all of a sudden it was like a drop of a hat things had just changed and so being aware of in myself okay it's a new thing I'm doing it's going to be uncomfortable. It's different, but I know that this is where I'm at at the moment. And you say that podcast we recorded ages ago about parental leave. It was ages ago in some measures, but it was actually only last year. <laughs> so <laughs> was it really it? wasn't that long well, ago. Well, it's 2020. So 2020 <laughs> felt like it was 50 years in You're one, right? right? <laughs> a different world, 2020. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I think that knowing whether when it's time to move, when it's time to change, um, whether it's changed jobs or uh, even just change the terms of your your employment, you could you know go part time, for example. The starting point for me is that work is not the reason that I exist. It's not. I wasn't. I didn't come to this planet to do marketing. Um, our jobs are our careers even, are a means to an end, right? They, they serve many purposes. They, they serve many ends. So we, are, we need to pay bills. We need to, you know, to look after our families. Um, we also need a sense of purpose. And so work can give you that. Um, we are social animals we thrive in connection and in teams and work environments are great places to feel that the the joy of teamwork right, in a way that we don't experience in many other places perhaps in sports we might um, so work serves many many ends they're not always going to be the same ends right at certain times in in your life you you need different things from your work so i guess that's that idea of you know is it about um a period of intense growth and learning, or is it, as you said, more of a, a gentle incline? Just being conscious of what you are getting from your work and what you want from your work at that point. If you're still learning at the moment, you've been there 10 years, but you're still learning, you're still feeling that you're investing in yourself, that 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 product, that brand, that is you, that you will take with you if you do ever move on, that that is still getting stronger. And um, if you feel like you're adding value and you're getting fulfillment from that, from solving problems, 
And if you, if you're still enjoying it, then there's no reason in the world to move at all. I mean, I've never moved, never changed because I felt like it was time for a, a change for the sake of change. Change happens. Change happens whether you like it or not. It's not a, you don't need to go about making change. Change, change will come to you. Um, if you're learning, if you're enjoying it, if you feel like you're adding value, then hold on to that as long as you can. Well, you've made me feel better. And as you were talking and I'm thinking to myself, even Shell, the description you were giving about the learning curves, I've actually, I've had so many new roles, responsibilities, challenges. Uh, the incline's probably been steep most of the time, albeit it's backed off from time to time. And so, yeah, I guess I I've, do recognise I'm quite lucky to not have needed to go through um, I guess that recruitment process or trying to find a job in another organisation because I've actually had it in the same place. But I think it does make me a little bit unusual to be the generation I am and have stuck with some uh, one workplace for 10 years and yeah, who knows what the next 10 years will bring. But I do like that concept of not changing for change's sake, mm. like change will come to you. I love how you've just described that, Kate, because so much of the time we we adopt a trend because we think let's just jump on that like that's the norm. I don't want to miss out perhaps but you're not even sure what you might miss out on. But going back to some of those questions to ask yourself of do I enjoy this? Am I learning? Like because you could absolutely jump ship and get an awesome job wherever you want Em. We know that. We but (laughs) thank you. (laughs) But I think why do that just because, like, why release yourself of the pressure of those things and then you actually get to sense check, is this right for me? Is this still my priority? Am I learning? Am I growing? Kate, what's your take on, and we won't um, have the luxury of talking for too much longer, but what is your take on this idea of motivators or core drivers? Because the other theme that we find ourselves unpacking quite often is culture versus money uh, is probably the big one. So I've got this wonderful workplace, love the culture here, but I feel like I could be more earning more money somewhere else. It just comes up time and time again. The flip side is I've got this job that pays me the big bucks, but I really feel like my lifestyle socially or family-wise is suffering. The culture's subpar. What do I do? Do you have any takeaways that you can share with us when it comes to motivators and in particular, I guess, some of those big ones like culture versus money? I'm thinking about the motivators that are not just the motivators in work, but just our motivators generally as human beings, right? So um, you and some of your listeners might be familiar with um, the, I, the with self-determination theory, which is basically a way of looking at, at human motivation. Um, it's quite evidence-based and it's quite uh, useful in I've found in thinking about why I'm doing things or why the people around me are doing things. Um, so the three core motivators that all of us are driven by, um, according to self-determination theory, are autonomy, relatedness, and competence. Autonomy is um, the human need to have some control and choice over what's happening to us. Um, Relatedness is about connection and relationships with others, which is where that culture piece partly comes in. But culture is a big thing. It impacts lots of things. Um, and then there's competence, which is really just the satisfaction you, you get from, from doing something right, from being, what is it, from succeeding at 
optimally challenging tasks is the definition. That's a mouthful. I love that. That's a, that's a real um, touchstone for me uh, in recent years, succeeding at optimally challenging tasks. So I want the challenge. I want the right amount of challenge, not so much that I feel, uh, you know, stressed and, um, and frightened, but enough that I am still genuinely challenged and that I can actually succeed at it. So but that, but you can get that, that, that competence um, motivation can be triggered just by, you know, playing a computer game. It doesn't have to have an outcome in the world. It's just inherently satisfying, right, to, um, to, to play the game and, and, and to win or to progress in it. So those three motivators, um, everybody shares them. We're all driven by them to some degree. Some of us are just driven more by one than another, and um, also they do change through life. So I think that's where I would want to be focusing my energy and making a decision rather than on, um, say, culture or money. Um, we need to earn enough to, 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 to live. You need to feel valued. Um, but money's a terrible way of keeping score. It's a dreadful way of keeping score. It certainly took me down, I think, the wrong path initially in my life. Um, culture changes as well it changes and evolves around you and you are also you take your own culture with you to an extent right you impact the culture around you it's not so those things change and they're made up of lots of different components it's like too big an idea almost to really own that as part of your decision if what we're saying is that from a culture standpoint we like our job and we're working with good people yeah that really does matter absolutely it does um leaving that for more money, that's a, a bit of a gamble. Absolutely. But I think that the, um, the best way to make the decision is to try to understand more about um, those underlying motivations that are more about you, less about how much someone is going to pay you or less about the culture within which you work and more about you. It's about finding a balance between those external factors, like how much someone's going to pay you or uh, who else happens to be working around you at that time. Those things matter. They impact your, your, your work experience, absolutely. But more than anything, what is going to impact your work experience is you, is how, um, how you frame things, how resilient you've become to setbacks, how you channel your energies, how much you are growing and learning that's what's going to impact your life more. So if the culture's frustrating, but you are learning how to navigate it in a way that you think is useful, then stick it out a bit longer. Um, if you are staying somewhere because you are comfortable and you enjoy you know, having lunch with your colleagues, that's not a great reason to love the culture, I think. That's a great reason to have, stay in touch with those friends. Have lunch with them by all means. Um, but culture is a lot of things. Culture isn't just um, whether you're comfortable. Culture is whether you are empowered, whether you are um, supported, whether you are optimally challenged, whether you are equipped to succeed. That's culture. And this is, uh, there's a, an English uh contemporary philosopher called Alan de Botton. Have you read any of his? He writes on lots I haven't. Of um, he's done some really interesting uh, 
writing and podcasts also um, around vulnerability and, um, and, and human connection. He writes a lot on relationships uh, and he talks about uh, in a couple, he's very um, keen to get us to rethink so, some of the ideas we have around romantic connections, right? This, this sort of idea that there's some magical, mystical connection that occurs between two people across a crowded room and souls are reconnecting. Um, and the reason he asks us to be very on guard about that is that it's a terrible trap to think that it's just about finding this other half of your soul, that you can just, it's just about something that's going to happen externally and that it's going to happen without work. You should just know each other. You should just magically connect. And I think that we bring this romantic notion also to our work a little bit. We think it's more, we think it's more about them. It's more about the company. It's more about our manager. It's more about our colleagues. Um, they are only part of the equation. I think the biggest part is us, right? And so de Botton talks about relationships and saying that one of the most valuable things about a um a relationship, a romantic a, a relationship in a couple is actually the role the other person plays as almost a, a, um, providing tension for you, somebody who's involved enough to know you, to care about you, um, who, who really sees you, really sees the real you because they live with you. They, they know the real you, not the you you put on for your friends. Um, and they care enough about it and about you and they're invested enough in you to actually want to help you get better, to get closer to your better self, right? That's his idea of a great relationship, not a romantic, perfect relationship, but a relationship where the person knows you and cares enough to help you and give you the feedback and that helps you become a better person. But all of that assumes that you want to be a better person that you want to work on your weaknesses, that you are willing to look at them and do something about them. So I think that that same principle works for me in a work environment. Um, it is about the people around me. It is about the culture. But even more, it's about me and how I choose to react to things and how much I am listening to the feedback I'm getting, even from people I don't like, because that sometimes the people I like are not going to tell me. So I, I, I think that that culture is um, we have to balance that with our own responsibility to, to look at ourselves carefully and honestly. I was reading in the first 90 days, classic book about uh, starting a new job, and uh, the author describes this dynamic of recruitment is a romance and employment is a marriage. And I love how you just described that concept of it's not, it's not romanticised, let's not get all romantic about it, let's look at it of those tension points are actually really important for our own growth, assuming we want to grow. And I know our listeners do because I listen to this podcast to try and grow, to try and develop. And so I love that description, Kate. Yeah, I, I'm sitting here thinking there's so much. One of the most enjoyable things about making this podcast is we don't actually hear the episodes until they're live. And so we get to listen back. And so we get to have this conversation and then we get to hear it again. And throughout, there's so many 
ways that you've articulated a, an idea or um, your own reflection that I've thought I want to go and, and spend more time thinking about that. And for me, one of the most original thoughts that I think has come through, although there have been many, but is this idea that a comfortable culture and one where you enjoy having lunch in the lunchroom with your mates is not necessarily the definition of a good culture or a culture that you should want to be a part of. So um, I just, I think, I guess I wanted to draw that back out and make sure that anyone listening spends a bit of time thinking about what that really means. Uh, we have run out of time. So if I can ask, is there any final parting word, Kate, that um, you would like to offer? You've already jammed so much uh, good stuff into this conversation. So please don't let me put the pressure on you to come up with more. But uh, if there was anything just as, as final parting words that you would like to share, we'd love to hear it. And then we, um, I am going to have to play timekeeper as I often do, and we will need to wrap up. I guess the, the only parting thought I have, and I'm not sure it's an ending thought or more just a thought that I, I wanted to make sure I had got across somewhere. I think um, we're talking about big ideas and, you know, making decisions about how we spend big chunks of our lives. Um, it's, you know, it's serious. It feels like a, a serious topic and your questions have been challenging and interesting and I, I, I'm in thinking about them hard and trying to, to answer them coherently. And I think that what might come across is that it's a serious business and that you should think you know, deeply about these things. And I, I just want to balance that by saying that we do think deeply about these things because it's fun to think about ourselves. It's, you know, we're thinking about our own lives. These are not, it's not um, a burden to think deeply and to reflect. And it's, it's not, a, but it's not as serious as all that. I think that we often feel that there's so much at stake and I certainly can look back at, at my life and my working life so far, and I'm sure there'll be more of this to come, and there have been so many twists and turns and things haven't worked out at all the way I expected them to, and I'm really glad about it. I love what I'm doing right now. I, I enjoy what I'm doing, and I'm confident that I will do new and other things in the, in the years to come, and I hope I enjoy them as much as, as what I'm enjoying now. I, I think it's, we're so privileged. We're so privileged to have, you said it, Chell, we're so privileged to have the, the, the luxury of choice, the freedom to, to reflect. I, I would just encourage people to enjoy that process, to think about, to enjoy thinking about what we like to do. How amazing is that to be able to say, what do I like? What do I want? And um, to have the chance many times over in your life to, to try in a new way to get to that and then try again a few years later. I think that's the perfect note to end on. So thank you. Uh, it's just been an absolute privilege to be able to speak with you and to take up this much of your time. Uh, thank you again to what I like to call the Newey Perm or Newcastle Permanent Building Society. Uh, again, for the support, we really appreciate it. And I think this is a really lovely episode. Uh, it has been highly reflective to end our season three on as well. well thank you again for having me. It's been a real pleasure.
Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed this episode, we would love it if you could jump onto Apple Podcasts, rate and review. We'll take all the five stars that you will give us and all the subscribes that you will give us because that is how we spread the word. Well, Em, that's it. Season three. It's been real, Shell. <laughs> it's been real. Do you know we've been doing this for like 18 months? Yeah. Podcasting? Yeah. We're just like... Imagine if we went back and listened to episode one, you know, two or I, three. I don't think I can. Oh, I don't know. I'm sure. Yeah. Look, I think we've come a long way. Yeah. From the baby podcast days. We're baby podcasters. Now we're like, you know, semi-professional. Toddler podcasters. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. We've got different expectations about where we're at. Hey, we have season four coming up soon. Do you know when that's happening? Yeah. So I do. In the sense that I know that it's going to be like, let's call it a couple of months from when this goes live. We're still locking down the exact date. There's a couple of reasons for that. One of those is that um, we've actually got a brand new show partner. Yeah. So, you know, there's a bit to be revealed there. We're lining up a few things in the background. This is all the the big deal stuff you've got to do in showbiz. I know. Hey, exciting times. We're going to have lots of fun. Season four. Thank you so much. We just want to really thank our listeners who've been on this journey with us. We love uh, your feedback. We love hanging out every fortnight and we will see you soon. Yeah. And if you do have any requests, any special requests that you'd like to put in, in regards to topics, please get them in now because we are doing lots of planning and starting to record. So we're all for ideas. And at the end of the day, we want to be talking about what you want to be hearing about. Perfect. See you soon. Bye. We acknowledge the dark and young people, traditional custodians of the land on which our studio sits and pay respect to their elders, past and present. We extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples who may listen to our podcast. Hey, thanks for listening. We love learning how to do all things well, which is why we've created a bunch of different podcasts. So go and check out My Millennial Money, My Millennial Money Express, My Millennial Property, My Millennial Health, My Millennial Business and Gen Z Money. Find these wherever you're listening to this podcast. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.